It is uh, July 19th, 2015. Our message this morning is called the Transgender Gospel. We're going to begin in Genesis 1. <coughs> Seems like a good place to begin. Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1, starting in verse 24, this is the beginning of the sixth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Say that with me. According to their kinds. Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to, and God saw that it was good. How interesting it is that in only the 24th and 25th verse, five times in two verses, we find an immutable law. Everything gives birth according to its kind. When we were in school, they still taught Kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. Now we have to add a category called Jenner. It's sad. It's sad that we're as confused as a nation that the most highly venerated legal minds of our time don't understand what children understand from the moment that they can speak and are born. What we see in this gospel is not just a lesson about genetics, though. It is also a lesson about spiritual genetics. You cannot go to a diesel mechanic to learn neurosurgery, and you cannot go to a neurosurgeon to learn the intricacies of the diesel engine. Everything is going to give birth according to its kind. Please, church, let us realize that amazing firebrand Christians that are born of heaven cannot come from dry, dead, apathetic works. That is not how it happens. Christians beget other Christians. This is the way that that happens. It is not a mystery when we raise our children how they will turn out. Our children will turn out to be whatever we are because this is how God has set it up. The difficulty in the accountability of that statement is that we would prefer it to be random chance because if it's random chance, then we're not held responsible. But think of the promise in the statement. The promise is if you will walk right, your children will walk right. This is a beautiful truth, a mandate given to us from God. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Whose image was God made or man made in? Let us make man in our image. And then he made a man, a single human being, an Adam in Hebrew. His name means both red and of the earth and also means man or mankind. Mankind was made in God's image. Let me ask you, 
Do we have the right to remake God's image? Does God's image need to be improved upon? What artist is there that needs to apply a cosmetic technique to God's portrait to make him more palatable? Is God's image perfect? If God is holy, if he's righteous, if he's altogether lovely, if he is wonderful and true, and man was made in his image, then when we attempt to distort man's image, we are saying something about how we feel about God. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over livestock, over all the earth. How much of the earth? The Great Commission was for the entire planet, not just Indo-Europeans, not just those who came out of uh, an Anglo-Saxon background. The gospel is for the entire earth. Have you seen the gods that are worshipped in India? Has anybody seen a picture of Shiva recently? This is demonic. It's all get out. It's gnarly beyond belief. It is the definition of some kind of strange mutation. A woman with arms all over the place, reaping creation and destruction. Never know what you're going to get. It's like, like a female deity that is during her cycle all of the time. And she's worshipped. And if you don't like that God, then we have one that looks just like a devil. And he scares off the other gods. And if you don't like that God, we have one that looks like an elephant. And if you don't like that God, we have an oxen that is actually called a god in Hindi. It gets worse and worse and worse. God made man in his own image. And he wanted him to rule over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Back in verse 26, we see that God invested his image in a man. And then he invested the right to rule in that man. He made him in his image and then told him to rule over all of the creation. In verse 28, it is stated in the same way, just with additives. He tells him that he's blessed, that he's to increase. When he says, um, fill the earth, uh, fill the earth and subdue it, that word in Hebrew is male. It means replenish the earth. It means fill it to a fullest potential. God blessed mankind made in his image, wanted that image to increase in mankind so that man could replenish the earth and rule the earth. What an interesting picture when you think about it. In the Holy Council, the Godhead, if you will, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, let us make man in our image. It's as if they took something of themselves, image and likeness, and made a man. Later we see that to complete man's task, God lays the man down and he takes something of the man and he makes a woman. As we fast forward in time, 
It's as if God, through the personage of Jesus Christ, took something of himself and gave it to you, and we are scattered body parts, the body of Christ. What we see in the Creator is that to rule his earth, he is always taking something of himself and giving it away. He is always taking something of himself and multiplying his kingdom, his reign, and his rulership through it. We were put here to multiply his image and reign on the earth. You know, there was an interesting story that Wade read this morning. It spoke of a scientist that had a conversation with God. He saw the chemical composition of the soil and said everything that we need to make up the biological processes of a man is found in the soil. So God said, let's have a man-making contest. The two set out to do it, and the scientist very, very confident that he could make anything from the dirt. God looked at him and smiled and said, yes, but you need to bring your own dirt. (laughs) We live in a time, friends, when we have genetically modified corn, genetically modified squash. We have genes extracted artificially from one species and forced into unrelated plants and animals. There's a reason that this is going on. Mankind is looking to alleviate and relieve the curse of frustration that has driven us to need our king. When we think of the the basic words that we use for life, we procreate. Procreate, like most English words, has Latin bases. And when you think of procreating, pro means in favor of. We have pros and we have cons. You know this? It means in favor of. To say procreate means I am working with God, with his creation process. In other words, I am within the order of God. I am working within his plan. I am developing the creation according to its kind. We live in a day when we would rather recreate than procreate. We would rather re means to do it again. Re means something new, often against the original. We want to reinvent and recreate God's plan. We don't like what he's done, so we would rather do it in a way that is more palatable to us. Were you born a homosexual? You were born a sinner. Were you born confused about your gender? You were born confused about the entire world. It doesn't surprise me. Someone was born confused about their gender. The question is, do we want to work with God's program or try to create our own? And friends, you can hack off and reattach body parts and it will not change the heart and spirit of a man. Whether he knows he's a man or not, we were made in the image of God. This is not hate speech. It's the most loving thing you could ever say to someone. God is the solution for your problem. And no amount of painful surgery, no amount of public humiliation, no amount of applause from wicked people will fill the hole that is in your heart you're trying to fill. When we don't recreate, when we ignore procreation, creating along with God, we often transmutate. We come up with things that God never intended. Transmutate means to thoroughly change or corrupt. 
When you end up with plants that never existed on the planet, when you end up with an animal that cannot reproduce, you know, you can cross a donkey and a horse and it produces a mule, but mules cannot produce other mules. It's probably because they're not supposed to exist at all. What happens spiritually when we alter and we try to inject into the purity of the gospel things that don't belong? We see crops come out of the ground, but are they capable of reproducing? Are they sterile? Or if they reproduce, do they reproduce something that does not look like the original? Because this began with an image of God. And we don't have the right to change that image. The question foremost in our minds needs to be, what does God's word say? What does God's character look like? How does God move authentically? We do not have the right to alter his image just because we prefer our fruit covered in wax so that it looks pretty. In Genesis 2.15, we see an amazing truth. You're going to read it with me? Are you going there? The Lord God took the man. Somebody say, took the man. And he put him, say put him, in the Garden of Eden to work it. That's fun. Come on now, somebody, to work it. Oh, you're not working it hard enough. Come on, work it. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. When you think about these phrases, it's, it's worth contemplating a bit. We all say God created Adam in a garden, but he didn't. He took him and put him in a garden. Which begs the question, where was he before he was in the garden? I'm good at raising questions. I don't always have the answer. It's irrelevant to today. I want you to know that God is always taking men from somewhere to somewhere. This journey with God is just that. It's a journey. It's described as a walk. It's never stationary. He is always taking you from to. He's bringing you out of Egypt, out of Babylon. He's taking you away from the fishermen's nets of your father. He is always calling you from something to something. We are a people that are sojourning on the earth. He took the man and he put the man. If you want to say faith in Hebrew, the word is immuna. It means trust-grounded obedience. When you trust God, you do what he says. That's what the word immuna means. It's nowhere in this verse, but it is interesting that its root is. The Lord God took the man and he put him. The word put him in Hebrew is muna, not immuna, but muna. Say, Eric, what difference does that make? Oh, you need to hear this. One of the ways to translate put him or placed him is he rested him. God takes you from one place to another and he puts you at rest in that place. He quiets your soul. Friends, many times we're frustrated. Many times we're upset. We're kicking against the goads and we don't know why we can find no peace. It's because you're not where he's placed you. He takes you from one place and he puts you in another place. It's not even a reference to the quality or lack thereof from where you've come. He takes from this place all of the time and he puts in other places and he takes from other healthy churches and he puts them here because he has the right to move us as he sees fit. 
Your job is to be faithful to his workings and his movings. Now, God is not schizophrenic. He doesn't change his mind like the windshield wiper. He doesn't say, I want you to invest there. And then the next week, change his mind. There is a reason. There is a purpose and a placement to, to what he's doing. But he took the man and he put the man. Now, what did he tell him to do? The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to, we can do better than that, to, what an interesting concept. Our God places you at rest and says, now work. It's almost like every day was a Sabbath. It's almost like you would rest from your own work and you would do his work. You would stop scheming about where you should be. You would stop scheming about what you should do. You would stop trying to figure it out and you would say, he put me here. So while I'm here, I'm going to work. You know, that seems so simple. But the first men and now how many ever generations we are down, it hasn't been so simple. Most of the time, it's not enough for us. Most of the time, we're sure that there is something more that we should be having. How interesting it is that God can give us everything that we need, and yet we still are unsatisfied with what he has given us. Is that not the definition of spoiled? I want to encourage you that he takes you from one place to another. He places you there and says, now rest in me. Your job is to work this ground. And you, you like me, are probably like those old cows leaning up against the fence. Sure that the grass has got to be greener right there. Sure that it's got to be wonderful right there. You're ignoring what's under your own feet for what you can see on the other side of the fence. I do it all of the time. Traveled around the world and preached the gospel in more places now than I can even remember we've been. I couldn't list them the other day. And people say, hey, what is the best place? Well, I certainly have places that I like to visit. But the best place that you can ever be is in the moment that you're where he placed you. Because you're at perfect rest. The work that you do is hard, but not frustrating. It, it is difficult, but it's not overcoming you. It's wonderful. And the only thing better than being placed somewhere is being placed while not being alone. Being placed with people. Do you love this congregation? Because I love you. What makes life-changing ministries what it is are the people that are in it. And this body has a kind of migratory thing happening. We're spread out now. There are pieces of us in Chicago. There are pieces of us in Baton Rouge. There are pieces of us in Victoria. There are pieces of us in Gainesville, Virginia. <coughs> And we have pieces of them here, and it is beautiful because we are the body of Christ. Oh, my heart leaps for joy when I see the sincerity of what is happening and what we call the one association. Because the churches are becoming strong. They are where God has placed them, and they are working the ground God has given them. Some of them produce crops quickly. Others produce crops that grow differently but are just as strong. Zeke was rejoicing with me the other day. He said, I have got 12 that will not bow the knee to Baal. Oh, there's 50 or 60 in the room, but I've got 12 that will not bend. I said, oh, amen. 
My brothers in Chicago probably have 60 that will not bend the knee to Baal. We have different fields and different crops growing, but they come from the same original source. Somebody say, Amen. It turns out that the phrase, work it, in Hebrew is abad, A-B-A-D. And work it doesn't, I mean, it of course means work it. That's why it's translated work it, but it doesn't only mean work it. Another way to translate it is serve it. I have taken you from here to this place. I have put you at rest in this place, and now I want you to abad, work it, serve it. Or if you were going to say it in church and ease, minister to it. It turns out that we are all full-time ministers or you're not in the body of Christ. You are supposed to be where he has placed you. And when you are there, you're supposed to be at rest with your function. And while you're performing your function where he put you, you are ministering to the people that are around you. This is how God has designed us. How pleasant it is that you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait until you get there. You're already somewhere. You don't have to look forward to the future. One day, my calling will come about. Your calling happened before you were conceived. From the moment you began to breathe, you were placed somewhere. The question is, are you fully there? The question is, do you know where you are? The question is, are you at rest where you are? The question is, will you serve where you're at or will you spit in the face of the one that has given you his image? When we don't want to procreate, we don't want to work with the creation order, we try to reinvent, reimagine. We try to recreate something. (laughs) Often our attempts to recreate take some parts of the truth and inject it into something that is wholly a lie. And the two are not supposed to mix any more than oil and water, any more than light and darkness, and we have transmutated something. And how do you know that we've transmutated it? Because you can put 20,000 people in a room but can't get one person healed. Because you can put 20,000 people in a room and have no concern for an abortion mill right around the corner. Because you can put 20,000 people in a room and no one cares about anything other than themselves. And yet we call it Christ and Christian. Friends, that's not procreating the gospel. That's not even recreating the gospel. That's some kind of strange transgender Christianity. It's a transmutation. It doesn't produce life. I'm going to tell you the day of the megachurch is coming to an end. I don't want to talk about megachurches today. You know what I want to talk about? You. Me. And the reason that I want to do that is because it's very easy to look at somebody's field and go, they're not handling that well. Of course, that means your eyes are not on your field and how straight your rows are plowed. Would y'all like to get the house of God right today? Do we want to work it today? Do you want to sleep or do you want to work it? Oh, man, I want to get this thing right. Because the hardworking farmer is the first to reap the rewards of his crop. If you diligently do the work of the king, you will eat that fruit all of your life. 
You know what feels really, really good? I mean, it takes the most painful situation and it makes it wonderful. The feeling that your father is proud of what you've done. I'm going to tell you it doesn't matter whether you're waist-deep in sewage in some foreign country or swimming across a river in some other country. If you feel like your father is proud of you, it all becomes instantly joyful. I have been with some of you in the worst hell holes on the planet, and we made heaven right where we were. Amen? That's because God has given us his image. And wherever we go, we carry that image and we multiply that image. That is our job. Look at Genesis 3 before we leave the book. In Genesis 3, starting in verse 17, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. I've heard many a preacher blame Eve for this. Certainly, certainly she was guilty. But I blame Adam. The issue is that Adam should have known. And instead, he took a back seat to his wife's leadership and she happened to have been seriously wrong. I can't tell you how many households are ruined, not because the woman is out of order, but because the husband simply will not lead. God's method of creation and procreation is that he initiates, he speaks life, and everything then comes into order. And husband, if you will not take the leadership role, you cannot blame your wife for not doing well what you were supposed to do. We have a generation that is confused about roles. And they're confused because they are not seeing them done in the right way. To some, we look like cavemen barbarians and that's just fine for me because at least they will know what masculine holiness looks like and it doesn't in any way diminish the strong femininity and beauty of the calling of our wives they are stronger women because we make the way ahead of them this is what we are supposed to do I would love to return to a day when in the simple task, men still open doors for women. And this is not because the women can't open them, but because it's right that he would take the brunt of the load because this is how God has established it. There is frustration in the creation. And that frustration was put there for our benefit. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Who did God command not to eat of it? Adam was given the command. Eve was speaking with a serpent. When she restates the command, she adds to the commands of God. And she eats first and her husband joins her in it. When things go wrong, friends, don't go with them. If everybody is drowning, then who will throw the life preserver? Praise be to the living God that when he saw his creation drowning and his image tarnished, he re-injected himself into the creation and the personage of Jesus Christ. Cursed is the ground because of you. Somebody say, because of you. King James says, for your sake, and the truth is, is that the Hebrew is somewhere between those two. It is because of what Adam did that the ground is cursed, but it is also for Adam that the ground is cursed. Both are true. 
God interjected frustration so that now this man who is working the soil, working the garden, it said through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you'll return. The man's job had been to work the soil. And now the soil was going to fight back. The soil was going to provide for him a level of resistance. Those of you that work out, and it's been several decades since I even considered that, you increase resistance to do what? To make you stronger. Why do you think God is increasing resistance? It will make the man depend on Him, which is His strength. If everything you put your hand to feels corrupted, if everything you put your hand to is falling apart, it causes us to turn and look at the Savior and say, Hey! Will you help me with this? Woe unto the man when all is going well for him. This is when people forget about God. The poor are rich in faith because they must be. Because they have to be. Because if they don't trust the Lord, then there's no hope for them. But it is hard for a rich man to be saved. Is your day frustrating? Praise God! Then you need a Savior. Is your job difficult? Stop whining! You need a Savior. Oh, wow. We have a generation that is insulted when we're told to work 40 hours a week. Used to be a privilege to get to work 40 hours a week. And if you got to work more than that, you were super excited because it was time and a half. Now we just want to sit on our computers, drive somebody else's car and stay in our parents' house. It's sad. You know, car sales have declined in, in the millennial generation uh, so, so sharply that the manufacturers are not even sure what they're going to do. When I was a kid, I couldn't wait to get married. <laughs> we don't have to tell you why I couldn't wait to get married. I had found a princess, and I wanted to make sure she was mine forever. As soon as I got married, I couldn't wait to buy a house. I couldn't wait to have our first automobile. By the time I was 21, we had bought a house and two cars. Then we learned about how devastating debt was. <laughs> the point was we were so driven to accomplish something that we rushed headlong after it. What we believed you were supposed to do was get planted somewhere, work as hard as you could at it, develop roots and try to affect the community around you. That is being destroyed. We are genderless. We don't know what to do. We don't know what our roles are. We're purposeless. We don't know where God has placed us. And so we're producing things that are as transmutated as the lives we see reflected in the Hollywood idols that so many in here worship. What happens, friends, if you don't want a job? and you don't want a place to live, if everything is done for you and you simply get by where you're at, is you never feel placed anywhere. And you never have work put before you. And so you never feel the affirmation of your father. And of course your existence is going to need to be aided by Prozac or something like it. 
because the king of kings is nowhere to be found no matter where you go to church. In fact, you may even live vicariously through the great champion that you believe is your pastor because he tells you he's great all of the time. And you don't even notice because we don't know what the image of God looks like anymore. Friends, we are supposed to be image bearers. We are supposed to work the soil. And the first soil that any man, any woman works is the soil of their own heart. Do you want to be a genetically modified Christian? How many of you are super excited to hear that they took pigs that they called enviro pigs and they tried to make these pigs more resistant to drought, more resistant to all of the things that were put in the creation to help us. And in 2012, they had to exterminate the whole lot because it turns out they didn't know as much about even reproducing pigs as they thought they did. Have you ever heard about the Human Genome Project? Mapping of the DNA. Isn't it exciting that somebody knows why your eyes are blue or why they're brown? They speak of a day when perhaps you can have a designer baby. My babies were designed by God and they came out perfect. I have some with brown eyes and some with blue eyes. I have some with blonde hair and some with brown hair. I have males and females. It turns out that all the diversity that God intended is even found in our family and we appreciate it. I'm not sure that I want a scientist selecting things like that for me. They talk so much about it that you would think, oh man, they really must have a handle on this. You know, in all of the mapping of the human DNA, it's less than 5% complete. Everything they think they know is based on less than 5% of what exists. Oh, this describes the modern world perfectly. We know less than 5% and think we have it mastered. This is the young man that has played a soldier's video game and he is sure that he is Rambo incarnate. Or maybe today, Rainbow Incarnate. We cannot bypass the frustration that was intended to cause us to get in touch with our Creator. That frustration is what develops us. It's why we're advantaged by adversity. It is why God put it there, was to drive us towards Him. I'm not going to ask for amens or hands raised, but men, if you had no sex drive, none. If it simply was not there, Would your teenage years have been easier or harder? (laughs) Women, if you were never experiencing an emotion, if you were like Spock on Star Trek, if that was you, would life be easier or harder? But those things are actually beautiful things and grappling with our emotions and grappling with the things that drive us cause us to be driven towards the Christ for help. The beauty in the creation is not in what we think of as perfections in human beings. It's sought in our imperfections that drive us towards the perfect one. That's the beauty, is that we're not self-reliant, we're entirely God-reliant. How interesting it is that we want corn that can survive a drought. We want corn that can multiply faster. We want corn that is resilient to pestilence and we end up creating a corn that has never existed on this planet. Does that not bother anybody in here? We've done the same thing with Christianity. 
We want a church that attendance always goes up and never goes down. That's drought proof. We want church that is pestilence resistance. We don't even talk about sin anymore. I mean, there's no such thing. All is well, all is well. Powder puff Christianity, candy-dappled Christians sitting on every seat. We want faster and faster multiplication. Our pastors don't need to know the Lord. Our people don't need to know the Lord. What we really need is to know a doctrinal statement and simply be, in fact, I tell you what, we have two screens in here, send one to the north side of town, one to the south side of town, and we'll just pipe our glowing image in there. And this doesn't strike anybody as odd. No, we've been eating this corn a long time. And because we have, we don't know that it's causing cancer. We don't know that we have spiritual indigestion. We don't know what's going on because we've lost track of the way the creation is supposed to work. Sin has gotten in and so thoroughly wrecked it that we don't realize that we've lost something of what it means to struggle with the Lord and win. By the way, that's how you take a deceiver and make him a prince with God. You let him struggle with and alongside God. Anybody in here working with fear and trembling to work out their salvation? Anybody in here daily laying your troubles before the Lord saying, Lord, this is where I'm at and this is where you're at and I'm trusting you to make up the difference because woe unto me if you don't or if we all arrived already. See, there is life in this fight. When we're engaged in this struggle, it keeps us in touch with him. I'm not passionate about Jesus. I'm not on fire for him because I'm a strong man. I'm on fire for him and passionate about him because I'm a weak man. And I understand that weakness. I understand that I need daily an infusion from him. You know, Bruce, Kate, Duck, Dog, whatever it is now that this man is being called, somebody needs to hug him, look in his eyes, and say, it doesn't matter how many parts you take on or put off, you were called to be in the image of God, and you have mutated yourself. And the reason that you're looking for affirmation from everyone around you is because you know it's wrong. And no amount of applause or money or ridiculous reprobates that are paying you to do the things you're doing will make you feel better about it. There's only a fearful expectation of judgment. Friends, if you sit in here today or listen to this message online and you are struggling with perverse thoughts, this doesn't make you a pariah in the house of God. It makes you someone who needs to be in the house of God. I'm not anti-homosexual. I love to watch homosexuals get born again. See their natures change. To see them fall in love with the Lord and find purpose that when he places them in a body, when he puts them to work, doing the the work of, of the Lord, I'm telling you, some of you were this, that, or the other. But now we're washed, we're sanctified, we're justified. It doesn't matter what wickedness you're involved in, you're damned. But the moment you become saved, that defines you. 
not your previous damnable nature, your new righteousness. Oh, man, that we could grab hold of that. How could anyone think it's hate speech to offer you hope? Of course, that's right. These days they offer hope and and change, and they mean hope and chains. That's, That's what they mean. Turn with me then to Luke. Say there when you're in Luke 8, Mine, Naguta. I'm going to get to this quickly because I promised that I was not going to preach a really long time today. I have from time to time noticed that when the Lord says this will happen soon, His definition of soon and Mine are different things. I can promise the sermon will end soon. Luke 8. Let's pick up in verse 5. A farmer went out to sow his seed. A farmer went out to sow his seed. I love what's called dynamic translation. This is that. This is, I have read the original text and I want to tell you what the text means. That's an exciting thing because it's terrible when somebody tells you what the text says and you don't know what it means, right? Uh, so we have people in this room that speak Swahili. We have people in this room that speak Swiss German, people in this room that speak Arabic. And in every language, we have colloquialisms and idioms that when translated uh, literally, leave something to be desired, Right? Germans often say, this makes no mind. And you kind of get what they're saying by that. India's got such strange idioms that um, you realize you didn't get it when everyone in the room is laughing and you're standing there not knowing why it's funny. And so do Americans. Hey, dude, that's cool. How many of you want that literally interpreted? Okay. So in this passage, what... This translation attempted to do was tell you what is happening. A farmer. What what do you think of as a farmer? Somebody who plants things, right? Okay, so old King James word for it was a sower. Went out to sow his seed. What this literally says in the Greek is a sower went to sow, right? Uh, Farmer is a sower and and, uh, let, let me say it another way. A spiro, that's the Greek word, went to spiro. <laughs> Somehow or another, though, that doesn't paint the whole picture for you. Uh, when the noun and the verb are exactly the same, it can leave you wondering which direction to even read the sentence. A sower went out to sow. A fisherman went out to fish. A pastor went out to pastor. Doesn't that leave you kind of going, of course, Right? In this parable, the sower is God. And what he is sowing is his image, the kingdom, a piece of himself. He can't give you an image of something other than himself. He made man in his image. If the gospel of the kingdom is something other than the king of the kingdom, then it is not the gospel of the kingdom. Does that make sense? The message that was preached from John the Baptist and from Jesus and from the apostles is repent, the kingdom is at hand. You don't have to say whose kingdom, you don't have to describe the kingdom because 
The king of the kingdom was well known to the people who were hearing it. Does that make sense? If I came to you outside of a gospel context and I said the kingdom is here, you would want to know, are we being invaded by China? It's always possible. Uh, did Putin's bombers come over on 4th of July and land in, in this president's backyard? That's always possible. I, whose kingdom? But the people who were receiving the message knew the king. What they didn't know is the way that his rule was extending into their lives. Does that make sense? Verse 5. A farmer, a sower, went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than that which was sown. Do you remember that in the beginning, in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, when God sowed his image into the man, he told the man to increase it. If sowers sow, what do Christians do? supposed to make Christians. If Christ's image, Christ's spirit, Christ's words are in you, then you ought to be making what you are. We need to go to evangelism classes, pastor. We need to go see some great evangelist. We need to buy more books on evangelism. No, you need to be true to what God made you to be. You don't have to teach Christians how to be like Christ if they're Christians. It's your every desire. It's, it's all you ever wanted. And so telling a man who is in love that he has to speak about his wife sounds kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? In fact, if you said, I, I demand that this week you speak about your wife to at least one person, you'd have to wonder whether he really loved his wife, wouldn't you? Perhaps the reason that we are working so hard to get people to share the gospel is they've never actually received the gospel. See, one of the key characteristics of something that has been transmutated is they have a piece of the truth, but they are not of the substance of the truth. So no matter what a mule does, it cannot produce a donkey, it cannot produce a horse, even though it has their genetic material, and it cannot produce another mule. It cannot be done because it's a transmutation. When you meet Christians that have not reproduced, they have not procreated themselves, they're not working with God in this creation to spread his image, then you have to ask the question, are you in Christ? So, oh, no, 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 of course I'm in Christ. Okay, well then, are you on the path waiting to be swallowed up? Because the guys on the path didn't reproduce. Are you in the rocky places? You sprung up and you believe for a while, but because you have no roots, you're falling away. Are you among the thorns? Are the cares and worries of this world choking you? keeping you from maturing, keeping you from becoming fruitful. Because the seed that fell on the noble soil, 
Let's read the meaning of the parable. Verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. This is the seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. Have you had the word deposited in your heart, but you have never taken hold of it? The devil has snatched it away every time. Moved in every service, but the moving leaves as soon as you experience the dawning of those doors. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. Somebody say joy. joy. But they have no root. They believe for a while. Say for a while. But in the time of testing, they fall away. If you can twist that into meaning something other than what it says, you are probably a mutated Christian. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear the word, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. Anybody want to be a stunted Christian? You know, dwarfism is defined by a particular height. People of different nationalities and races come in all shapes, colors, and sizes. But all human beings agree that under a certain height is a disability. How big of a disability? That's, that's an argument, okay? <laughs> we, we all are disabled by sin in some way. But at some point, even in worldly situations, we go, something's not right here, right? We need to acknowledge that something is different. When we have IQ tests, a certain deficit meets a standard. How is it that in Christianity there is no standard? How is it that in Christianity we never say, this one is immature, this one has been choked out? How is it that nobody applies any standard anywhere. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. What's the difference? The heart. Who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. How do you produce a crop? You have to persevere. It has to fall on good soil, and then you have to persevere. Well, who's responsible for the condition of the soil of your heart? I know it's my parents' fault. I know it's my grandparents' fault. It's my mean boss. It's anybody's fault other than my own. God took you and he put you in the garden to work the soil of your heart before any other thing. You know who's responsible for the condition of your heart? You are. Have you allowed it to be filled with things that God says it should not be filled with? The most common complaint that I hear is, Pastor, I don't feel everything all those people seem to feel. Well, number one, we don't walk by feelings. We walk by faith. And how do you know they're feeling what you think they're feeling? Perhaps they're acting rightly and waiting for the feeling to come. Perhaps they're moving in faith. But, Pastor, I never seem to feel. Well, God bless you, son. Are you walking in holiness? Well, no. Have you ever read the verse that says they were hardened by sin's deceitfulness? How many hours of porn do you think you can watch and then come in and feel the moving of the Holy Ghost? 
So, oh, pastor, that's not my thing. How many hours of movies do you think you can watch and come in and feel the moving of the Holy Ghost? How many hours do you think that you can pour garbage from some other species into your DNA before it has an effect on you and you can't reproduce, you can't feel, you're no longer working with God's creative order. You're trying to recreate something else. I don't want to recreate. I like the first creation. I don't feel qualified to try to reinvent what God did right the first time. I want you to understand there's no problem with mankind as God made him. The problem is what we did. And I certainly don't want to transmutate. I don't want transgendered Christianity. Of course, it started a long time before they started moving body parts around. When we couldn't decide who was responsible to lead. When we couldn't even settle those issues. When we can't decide on the male roles in the Bible and the glory of God that he chose to be born through a woman so that we would know that man and women are not independent of each other. They need each other's respective roles. When we lost that distinctive, it was just a matter of time. And it's been so good for our divorce rate, hadn't it? You know the thing that I think people that don't understand this hate the most about my own wife? She's beautiful, she's strong, she's led of God, and she's completely submissive to her husband and sees no contradiction in those things. Perhaps, men, if we would lead like Christ, our wives would follow. Perhaps, ladies, if you have difficulty following, you could encourage your husband every day and he'd become more like Christ and then your role becomes easier. Turns out that it's mutually beneficial to be like Christ. And it's disease to be anything other than Christ. Friends, if you think that you can recreate the way that God's order works and it will work for you, what you produce, what comes out of the ground will not be edible. And if it is eaten, it will not produce life. That might be going on in our food stock everywhere. I had hoped to speak to you about a few other things. I don't want to belabor a point. I want to tell you to work the garden of your own heart. You must have His divine image, His imprint in you. One of the ways you know if you have His divine imprint is that's what's produced in the people that are following you. You know, the biggest endorsement this ministry has are the ministries that have come from it because they can go to other places they can do things differently and yet the substance there is exactly the same and produces exactly the same results. People are born again. They're filled with the Holy Ghost. They fall under the power of God. Even if the person preaching speaks a different language, even if they dress differently, even if the style of their worship is differently because it's the same image. I want to walk you through this. You won't even have to turn there. This is a biblically educated church. Think about what Paul tells Timothy. In the first chapter of 2 Timothy, he says, I worship God as my forefathers did. See, Paul was not independent of a pattern that went before him. 
He could look backwards and see what had been produced in their lives and what was in his life. He said, I worship God as my forefathers did. Then he speaks to Timothy and he said, the faith which once lived in your grandmother and now in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded also lives in you. We could see that what started in grandma had gone to mom and had gone to the son and the same life-changing power was working through the generations it had been unadulterated. Then he tells him, keep as the pattern what I gave you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the image that's been imprinted upon you is to be cherished. Do not let it be corrupted in any way. He goes on to say, find reliable men and you entrust what was given to you to them. How important is it that from generation to generation we create with God and we don't try to recreate and we don't try to transmutate? What we do with Him is the same thing that He initiated in the beginning. Let me ask you, how true are you to God's standard? How well do you represent him? Have you opted for a faster way? Have you opted for an easier way? No drought, no pestilence. Whatever gets me where I want to be as fast as I want to get there. More people want to do what Matthew does, but they don't want to do what he did to get there. More people want to do what I do, but they don't want to do what I did to get here. We're in the age of instant gratification, even if it produces mutants. Listen, church, you want to get this right? You're going to have to work the soil of your heart. It starts off hard, and you have to till the ground. We've got salvation boiled down to a few seconds at an altar. But there was a time when the great men of God of old toiled the soil. They, 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 pierced it with preaching. They didn't even offer you a chance to get saved until they had preached for weeks because they needed you to know what you were being saved from. I don't care if there's 10,000 converts if not one of them is capable of discipling other converts. Can we reproduce? Are we genetically modified? When we talk about an easier, faster way, James 3.18 says, the man who sows in peace raises a harvest of righteousness. We think sows in peace. Oh, no problems, no fuss. No, the word peace there has below it a Hebrew word. There it's Greek, but the concept being preached is shalom, a Hebrew word. It means right order with God. The man who is in right order with God, a peacemaker, the one who turns from evil, does good, pursues righteousness. That's Psalm 34, 14. It's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 5. This concept, the man who is in right order with God, and that is what he's extending into other people's lives. He's not just preaching a good message. He lives the message that he preaches. He will raise a harvest of righteousness. But a man who's simply a preacher, somebody who is simply a teacher, or simply can draw a crowd, they don't raise a harvest of righteousness. Their harvest is something else. 
Have you ever bought fruit somewhere and it looked really good because it had been polished? And you got it home and when you bit into it, it was hollow? We don't want to give Jesus that kind of fruit. Plastic Christians. Enough outside adornment to look good and inside we're rotten? Ever bit into a hamburger that was half frozen in the middle? It's yucky. We want to give Jesus our best. You have to be in right order with him. How do you get in right order with him? You're constantly comparing yourself to the image of Christ. Now, are you ever going to do that and go, (laughs) today I'm great? Probably never, which means you'll always be repenting. And the man who's broken by his condition becomes meek. He'll move in any direction God says because he knows that's his only hope. That was the point of frustration in the creation. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. They'll be filled. He's longing to save the most unsavable, irredeemable, lost among us. The ones that he ignores are the ones that think they're not in desperate need. You want to be strong in Christ? Figure out where your weaknesses are and talk to him about it constantly. Every moment of the day. And he will endow you with supernatural power to overcome those. He will literally turn weaknesses into strengths. By the time you get to the fifth chapter of James, he speaks of the patience of a farmer. If you go to Galatians, let's put this one on the screen. Galatians 6, starting in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You know, I love to quote this to pastors. Pastors are famous for getting together and talking about how bad their churches are. Yeah, I want you to know I don't ever run you down to other pastors. When they tell me how bad their churches are, I say, your church is what you've made it. Shame on you. You know, all my kids are doing that. I I just can't believe it. Your kids are what you raised them to be. Why don't you take some responsibility here? Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. I want you to know that is a New Testament verse. For me, there's no difference between Old and New Testament, but I know for some of you, that's a hard concept. So we picked it out of the New Testament. What does a man reap? Don't think that you're going to be able to sow a mule and reap a horse or a donkey. It'll never work They might look a little bit alike. They might even be able to do some of the same work. But one is sterile and the others aren't. Verse 8. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. Well, at least I'm planting, Lord. At least I'm trying. No, what you're trying is to please yourself. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. When we sow the spiritual seed that God has given us, you know what that literally means? It means when you're walking through Walmart and he says, speak to that one now, you don't stop and deliberate. You don't back up from it. You don't go, well, if he really wants me to, he'll tell me 12 more times. Why? You condemn yourself as faithless. But they might think I'm strange. The fact that we, you even have that kind of conversation in your head shows how defeated you already are. How good would it feel to attempt something for God and feel his approval? Charlie Brown's been serving the Lord for more than 40 years. 
from time to time, he and I have butted heads. He's, all, he's right, by the way. I need guidance in my life. That's why he's an elder in the church. I'm appreciative. He was there when I was first born again, and I learned to use power tools at his house. Nothing blessed me more at the wedding, nothing, than watching Charlie shake just a little bit, fight through his flesh's resistance to what God wanted to do, and stand up and prophesy in other tongues. So why is just a prophecy? How many times have you seen that? A prophecy in other tongues at a wedding. Skeptics and all. I loved it. You know what the topic of my every conversation with every... Now I'm telling on myself. Everybody that I know to be lost, whether they think they're saved or not. How about that? Did you see that prophecy? Is that what that was? Yes, that's what that was. Are the workings of God strange to you? I, I, I did it everywhere. If you were sitting at a table with me, you heard it, right? I loved it. You know why? One act of obedience is worth 10,000 mediocre replies of partial compliance. Listen to what the verse 9 is. This is gorgeous. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I'm going to share with you exactly two verses. Now, I want to tell you that first we talked about a sower. What do sowers do? They sow. The word for sower is spira. A spira went out to spira. It means to plant. Then we, we talked about a field, the soil of your heart. If the word comes and it's from God, if the king and the kingdom are the message, if you have the pure image, if that's what we're talking about, in other words, if the seed is really seed, then when it hits the dirt, if plants don't come up, it says something about the dirt, not the seed. But if you have bastardized the seed, if you have corrupted it, then it does not say anything about the soil, does it? Might grow, might not grow. If we get the sowing part right and we get the field part right, sower and field, then the next part is to embrace this. This is from Acts 8. Turn there with me. The purity of the seed is everything. Do you believe there was a purity in the early church that we often do not see now? When Ananias and Sapphira got struck dead for lying to the Holy Ghost, if that happened in here this week, do you think there'd be a lot of repentance at the end of this service? If your pastors were imprisoned and you weren't sure when they were coming People were coming to get you. Do you think people's prayer life would be right in here? If you'd seen some of us crucified and you thought that the moment that you confessed Christ publicly, you might be crucified, do you think so? See, adversity's always been their friend. It's always refined Christians. So when adversity happens, you know what happens to the gospel? It spreads. Look at Acts 8. Start with me in verse 1. 
And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Look at verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. When God judged a nation, they were often said to be in diaspora. Diaspora is when you scatter people out so as to diffuse their influence. That's not this word. Scatter is actually not a good word, and it's used in almost every translation. And it's because spira means to sow. Uh, It's a sower and the one to sow. This word is diaspora. Scattered in English means it's just random. It's everywhere. The ones that were scattered, the Greek says more like this if we were going to dynamically translate it. They were spread out with intention. See, diaspora, dia means to separate. It means like two things. God took from the body and he separated out some and he planted them with intention. They preached the word wherever they went. Do you know why? That's what they were doing when they were a part of the body. If you take a piece of God, if you take his image, his likeness, and put it in a man, you expect the man to be like God. If you take out of the man's side and make a woman, you expect that woman to be like the man. They're all of the same substance. And if you lay down Christ and you take out of his side, the bride, the church, you expect the church to be like Christ. Three times in the book of Acts, diaspora is used. It's used in Acts 8.1, it's used in Acts 8.4, and it's used in Acts uh, 11. Go to verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. I want you to know that the gospel left Jerusalem. It went to Judea, Samaria, and then it began to go to the ends of the earth. And why? Because God diaspora. He'd separated some out for His purpose, and He planted them with intention where He wanted them to go. No farmer goes and throws seed randomly. It's not just some random process. In fact, he plants with intention. And where he plants a seed, he expects something to happen. What do you expect to happen? A harvest of righteousness. Are you seeing a harvest in your own life? Can you describe it as fruitful? Are you pleased with what you see? Could it be said of you 30, 60, and 100 fold? If not, let's consider two possible options. We're not working the ground where he placed us. We're looking for anything else. Or secondly, we haven't adhered closely enough to his image to produce his fruit. You know what the answer for both of them is? We're going to trust him and get to work. If he planted me here, then here's where I will work. If he told me to go from here to there, then the distance is immaterial. I'm going to do it. 
And wherever he put me, I'm going to bloom. One of the reasons for the GMO crops is because they don't want to grow corn in little tufts here and there. That's how it grows in nature. I mean, never bigger than a few clusters. There's no such thing as fields, and they have to have fields. One of the reasons the church movement has done what it is, is they have to have whole fields of Christians. They're not satisfied with a sincere, purely genetically Christ crop here and here and here and here. They need it all to be uniform and modified. I believe God will scatter us to places like Gadsden, Alabama. I think he will scatter us to places like Beeville. I think he will scatter us to places like Victoria. I think he will scatter us to the ends of the earth, maybe even as far as the Black Sea tomorrow. But wherever this Christian goes, there will be a harvest of righteousness. You know why? Because the seed's not my own. It came from the sower who is God. Do you have God's word? Is it planted deeply enough in your heart that you've reproduced something? Because as you reproduce, there's more seed. That's what happens. You got one apple tree and enough apples growing it, and what do you get? You get groves of apples, man. Could y'all stand to your feet?